Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Root and Roots show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history. Talk Radio site, blogtalkradio.com. Look for 
root and root and root show is easy for me to say root and root show. Also, you can go to my Facebook site, Greg G R E G, last name Rashid R A S H E E D. You can also go to the Twitter site, hashtag Unifix at U N I F I C S as a Sam. Hashtag Unifix. Also, you can go and you can email me at Unifix again. That's U N I F as a Frank I C S as a Sam at hotmail.com. Love to hear from you. I'm getting a lot of folks on Twitter all of a sudden. It's amazing. But I'm just going to get into the program now because I'm happy to have this guest on. I interviewed my first guest here, oh, about, oh, man, five years ago when I was still in Denver on um, KGNU Radio. And I'm just honored to have on this evening Dr. C. Richard King. He's a professor of comparative ethnic studies at Washington State University and the author of a new book called, and I have to say this first of all, that I'm going to use a term that I usually don't use on the show. If people who know me, I always say the Washington football team, but we have to use this term tonight on the show because it's very important. It's, the name of the book is Redskins, Insult, and Brand, and I'm happy to have Richard on again. Are you there, Richard? I am. How are you? I'm doing fine. Nice to hear from you again. Nice, you know, Really, you know, I really am happy you put out this latest book. Uh, and so it's just amazing how I believe we talked five or six years ago. And at the time, you had, right. um, you had just come from the uh, symposium at the Smithsonian Institute where there was a symposium on the, uh, the use of mascots. And what I find fascinating is I read this book and remember our conversation from six years ago is that in many cases, Things have not changed. In fact, you know, they have become, you know, it's like the same. And in some cases, it's worse. At least that's my opinion. But what do you, I mean, first of all, before we get into the book, what do you think about it as far as six years ago? I I would agree that I I think a lot of things have stayed the same around um, the use of Indian imagery and names in sports. And I do think in some ways you are right that things have gotten worse. I mean, if we simply look this week at um, Romani Jones wearing the Caucasian shirt on ESPN and the kind of um, really rapid and I would say pretty um, vigorous pushback he got in social media for wearing that shirt um, suggests, I think, really how entrenched a lot of these ideas are and how quickly um, a lot of the public is to, really, is to um, resist any efforts to call attention to kind of the entitlement and the privilege that many of us have or think that we have um, in using these symbols. It's a kind of ownership um, of Indians, a symbolic ownership that it doesn't really get talked about enough. No, and I'm, that's why I'm glad this book is out. And other things that you've written over the years, but and listeners, you can join in at 424-675-8315, 424 Six seven five eight three one five. I'm talking to C. Richard King, author of the book Redskins, Insult and Brand. Now, the thing that you know, the thing that gets me when I talked to you the last time, I got so many. I got so many folks that called me after the fact, not during the show, but after the show, emailed me and they were making these comments like, you know, well, what about leprechauns? What about you know, 
what's what's you know, I mean, there's other mascots out there. What about the Blackhawks? What about the you know, it's like people weren't getting the point that you were making and the point that you continue to make. It's like, well, it's not that bad and what you know, if if the Washington football team was to change its name, what about all the money it would cost? Like it's gonna affect them, their their pocketbooks. If something happens, their bank account is going something's gonna happen to their bank account. If the, if Dan Snyder to, to decides to like change the name of the team, and I just find that really fascinating. And especially, I have to say this to Richard that a number of folks I've talked to since that during that time and after that time are African American, and I always put the correlation like, what if the team was called the Washington Niggers? How would you feel then? And usually people say, oh, I hate that. I wouldn't like that. But there's no issue about the word redskins. And I want you, first of all, Richard, to talk about where the word comes from. Because looking at the book, you talk, you know, something I didn't even know. But I guess 1769 was like the first mention of the word in this country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I think that you're right to point out the very different ways that, that language and names operate and what, we're, what, what we've been sensitized to and what really remains invisible or doesn't pose a problem for a lot of speakers, even people who are in groups that, that have racial slurs that get thrown at them. So I, I think that's a really important point. Um, and just like the N-word, the R-word starts off really as a term um, of more or less sort of neutral reference sort of to, to color. And over time, it gets freighted down with – um, negative associations and becomes a pejorative. Um, and in the context of the R word, it, it becomes a word that gets attached to um, violence as being directed both in a symbolic and a, a very physical way at Native communities. It gets tied to removal and killing and a whole range of practices that we would look back on and say that they're very um, denigrating. Um, and very much reflective of the colonization of the, of the U.S. And how, you know, the curious thing um, in retrospect is how is it that the slur um, became a brand, right? How is it that um, right. George Preston Marshall could sort of look around and say, hmm, I need a brand for my team. I need something recognizable, right? And this playful pejorative is the, is the term I'm going to select. Um, and so it, it is a very fascinating kind of history. Um, you know, we could talk about why maybe it, it is a po- – maybe not positive, or why it has positive associations for a lot of people, whereas the N-word is in many ways sort of really a third rail of public discourse, right? That's not a place that most people – um, would go in polite conversation, right? Is to, no, to use no. the N word, right? But every every um, week during the season, right, thousands of times people repeat the R word, um, and often do so in a way to celebrate their town or you know their family um, to talk about something that they find to be really good. And so uh, I think that that's a really important difference that you point out. You know, yeah, it's a major difference. And listeners, you can call in at 424-675-8315, 424-675-8315. I'm talking to the author of the book, Redskins, 
insult and brand. I was about to say brand and insult, but insult and brand. It's on the University of Nebraska Press, and the author is on the phone right now, C. Richard King. And, Richard, I just want to ask you, um, you know, let's talk, uh, talk a little bit also about, you know, because you, you were mentioning that if you see it constantly, the word, especially during football season, not just NFL, but all football season. But I was amazed that in 2015 in Missouri, reading your book, I saw it, there was a sign. Just talk about the sign that was at a Sonic. Oh, yeah, I forget the exact what this, this, the sign said exactly, but it was um, essentially it was a sign that um, that talked about Native Americans being drunks, and um, I think it made a reference to um, killing killing Indians. Um, and, you know, this is a common thing that you and see. Scalp, and scalping, you know, they're going to scalp the – the Kansas City Chiefs, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this is a really common with mascots is the kind of competitiveness that sport brings often gets translated into, you know, very racialized hostilities and very um pretty overt um expressions of violence. So that um you know, you say kill the Indians or send them on a trail of tears or um, scalp them, right? And all of those kinds of associations are terribly violent and um, I think deeply, deeply embedded in this practice of mascotting. And, I, I, um, and so it, it's, in some ways it's not a surprise that it pops up because it's how we talk about sports. But the fact that we're referencing living people um, as opposed to fictional or mythical creatures, makes it a really different um, scenario, right? And and then when we think about the R word as a team name, right? We know that 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 these things have real real consequences for Native American youth, um, for the, for the psyche of Indian people, and I would argue um, really take us into a civil rights domain in which. You know, there's a group of people who can enjoy public facilities or accommodations or things like sporting events in the same way as their fellow citizens because you do have, um, you know, you do have war chants. For example, you have people dressing up in feathers and paint um, who are mocking them and their traditions. I mean, you have all of this um, that's associated with sports and with the Washington professional football team in particular, and um, it does have, I think it does have some real consequences that few people think about when they repeat the term or when right. they see it um, repeated. They don't think about those things. Um, and in some ways, you know, if nothing else, I'd like for the book to sort of push people um, or encourage people to, to stop and say, huh, what does it mean when I use this term? Or what does it mean when Dan Snyder can say in very blanket sort of statement, you know, I'm never, I'm never changing the name of the team. And you can put that in all capital letters, right? That, that kind of um, ownership and entitlement, some might say arrogance investment in, you know, this, these uh, fictional ideas that are very hurtful. um, Right. I mean, uh, if we can just sort of, interrupt that a bit, perhaps we can can make some progress uh, right. on this issue. And it is arrogance. 
That's what it is. It's arrogance to say that. And then on the other hand, you have Snyder setting up these these strange charities for Native Americans. Talk, talk a little bit about that, his reaction to all this. Yeah, so one of the team's reactions to the ongoing criticism of of the team name has been to try to to identify Native Americans who do support the name. Um, so they often will single out a person and say, well, here's so-and-so, or here's this uh, – this group of um, Native Americans on this reservation who do rodeo, who think the name is great, or they will point out that the current logo on the team's helmet, for example, is, um, or excuse me, was designed by an American Indian. So they will take great pains to to identify support, sometimes doing so um, too hastily, and they'll get, they actually encounter or, uh, you know, find pretending pretendians right sort of pretend indians who um, right. just want publicity perhaps but at the same time the team has really actively tried to use philanthropy um, by offering money to native schools native organizations uh, sports tournaments um, arts communities uh, through this uh, original americans foundation um, they really tried to use philanthropy as a way to secure the support or to indicate that they really do have the best interests of uh, American Indians at heart, and whatever this. And I think they would say, and whatever this other stuff you're hearing out there is just a, a few people um, who are perhaps being politically correct or who are whiners um, who want the spotlight. And he's real said Indians, it. right? Real Indians, you know, they like our team. I think that that's sort of of the point. And I think if they can, I think they think. Um, you know, in part that perhaps if they muddy the waters enough, people won't be able to actually see what's going on. But people, or at least you know, I fear that. At right. least that's what I fear. That's one of their beliefs. And I guess uh, the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, Goodell, has also made similar statements about the team. Yeah, Roger Goodell, and really. I think the NFL in general is supportive of the team, and he has said that he thinks that you know the the, the team name is not a problem. Um, I believe Jerry Jones has said that he thinks the team name um, is meant to be um, an honorific or meant to be positive. And um, on one hand, it's I think it makes sense that the NFL is supportive of the franchise and the name um, because the franchise is still highly profitable. And despite the distraction, I think that um, it has not yet proven problematic enough for the league to say, okay, maybe we should consider um, some kind of change. Right. And so I think that that's a important um, element of the support is it's still profitable and it's not too much of a PR um, disaster. At this point, you know, if the if the if the team, for example, ultimately loses these trademark cases that have been brought against it, um, and it can't sell um, as much or the range of of products under the team name, then maybe some NFL owners will be like, 
hey, you know, maybe it's time you start thinking of a change. Um, others have suggested that Snyder really deep down might want to try to leverage a change of the name to getting the perfect stadium deal in D.C. I'm not sure if that's actually true or not, but, you know, perhaps I've it's just a big... I've yes. Yeah. So perhaps it's just a big, uh, a big business gambit on his part. Um, I, I kind of doubt that. Because of, well, some people might say it, but I also think that I think that for him, for Schneider, and for a lot of DC fans, the team name is about um, a lot more than than what its value is, like its financial value. It's it's related to their childhoods. It's related to their um, sense of who they are. It's it's very much a um, a kind of psychological um, and identity piece for them. And I think that that sentimental connection really can't be overestimated um, in, in terms of why some people don't want to, you know, don't want to change or why they might push back. Um, you know, it, you know and, I have to say, yeah, Richard, uh, uh-huh. Yeah, oh, I, I, I'm, I was born in the uh, Washington, D.C. area and grew up, following that team, by the time I was in, I think my last year, you know, my senior year of high school, I stopped using that term, the name. I just stopped using mm-hmm. it because I just thought it, it wasn't right. You know, and I just, like, made effort not to do that, not to use that term, to tell other folks not to use it and put themselves in the place of a Native American. Would they like that, to hear that constantly? And, you know, but you do get this whole thing about the tradition. But on the other hand, there's another sports team in the Washington area, the, the uh, Washington Wizards, the basketball team. Mm-hmm. They made their owner a number of years ago, A. Poland, back in who's passed now, he changed the name that was originally the Baltimore Bullets to the Washington Wizards because of the issue of a lot of violence in the D.C. area, gun-related violence in the area, and he just said Bullet wasn't a good name. And what happened is that people didn't really complain. They more or less, like, started buying the new product. And I can just see that if the Washington football team changed this name, that eventually it, people would buy the product. They still would buy that. I I think there is some some truth to, to that theory that um, – you would, in in a sense, you would you would have a whole the whole market that would need to go buy um, new memorabilia, new jerseys, hats, and so on. And then you would have a whole uh, new market that would be out there, which would be the people that are boycotting or who don't like the name or who find um, Snyder and his attitude to be problematic, who might be like, "Wow, this is really progressive. This is now." something I can buy into. So right. I would say, at least, you know, my untrained mind says, yeah, I think you probably would sell more stuff. Um, and it would actually make sense to do the change. Um, I do think that you point out something important about the whole dynamic, right? The whole dynamic that's r- running through the team name and the ongoing controversy about it, right? And this has to do with, why some slurs like the N-word are recognized as really problematic and other slurs like the R-word um, don't get questioned by as many people, um, or why you might change the name from the Bullets to the Wizards 
but not change this other name. I think it ha might, has something really important to do with demographics and political clout. Because um, it's very true, right, that the D.C. area has a, a very large African-American population, right? And so right. Making, making the change for the basketball team made sense in terms of demographics and in terms of um, really the politics of and the racial politics of D.C. Um, if, I think if there was as large a Native American population in D.C., you might see a similar kind of thing that would happen. Um, and so in a sense, I think part of the trouble with the mascot issue is that Native Americans are such a small percentage of most communities and most states and most markets that for a push for them to push for change, it's you know you're only hearing from one or two percent of the entire population or the entire audience that's out there, and that doesn't rise to the level of urgency that I think a lot of marketing or PR or political types um, recognize as something that that demands action. Right. You know, and that's that's really a shame. But where I want to ask you because I didn't ask you the last time. Do you think in the next five years that the name will be changed? I, I want to hope that in the next five years uh, the name will be changed. Uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm pragmatically optimistic. Uh, I, I think that there are important conversations that are happening. I think that this is, you know, is this this is something that is now an annual um, thing that, that the league has to deal with and that the ownership has to respond to. I think that, you know, five years maybe is too soon, but I, I'm, pre I'm optimistic that, that something will happen. I think that I do have two fears, though, associated with a change. Um, one fear would be that in the D.C. area they might go for – a perhaps watered down or softer version of an Indian mascot or Indian myth. So maybe they would become the Washington Warriors, for example. I've heard um, the I've heard the name of uh, the Pontiacs. I've heard that a number. Okay. Times. Okay. So maybe the, so maybe the, the Pontiacs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some some way that they can keep being the Indians without offending people. Um, you know, similar to how the Blackhawks are able to look like a positive mascot to many people. Um, and then the other thing I think it would be a concern for me is if the Redskin name goes away, right, if the slur gets erased, um, does that mean that all of the energy around these mascots goes away too? In the sense that, um, well, that's a slur, so we should get rid of it, but teams that are called the Indians or the Braves or the Blackhawks, um, those aren't slurs, so we're not going to worry about them. And I think that um, – so as much as I would like to see change, um, part of me is very um, hesitant to just say, just drop the name. Um, right. I would say, you know, I would say change, but change in a way that um, is much more, um, much more penetrating or much more long-lasting. Right, that makes so much. And even the teams like the 
Blackhawks and, and the Indians, the Cleveland Indians in particular, they still the mascot. Like the Cleveland Indians is Chief Wahoo. Right. You know, the happy, well, and, grinning, you know, face. Yeah, the smiling face of racism, yeah. Um, and you also then have um, all of the fans who, um, because they're misguided or um, ill-informed, who dress in feathers and war paint right. and or do the tomahawk chop. Or yeah, do the, do the like tomahawk that. chop. Yeah, or, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs have um, this very stereotypic uh, music that they play that's this sort of syncopated right. war drum, trumpet, sort of or brass sound that's very similar. You're very familiar from like Western movies and things like that that has nothing to do with Indians but only our imagining of them. So you, you have all of these other features that fly under the radar. So if you get rid of um, the R word and then maybe if you get rid of Chief Wahoo, right, we still have all these other layers of things that we would really, um, I really would want us to be reflective of and attending to. You know, at the end of your book, you mentioned some things that folks can do. And I know a number of people who are listening in, and you can call in, again, we conclude the interview at 424-675-8315. And please don't email me after the fact and just say, well, you should have asked them this, and why, why is the name bad? Because I, I had that happen before when you were on. <laughs> that a lot of folks are very tentative. They don't want to say stuff on the air, but they'll get with you on social media or something, then talk about it. So don't be hesitant. Right, right. You, know, you can talk. You can talk to Richard right now. But you mentioned some things that folks can do. Just mention a couple of those at the end of the book that people can really do if they really want to see change, or especially those who really are straddling the fence or really look at it as, as we were talking about earlier, like. I had no problem with the name. Yeah, so I think that some of the most important things that individuals can do include uh, educating themselves about um, American Indians and American Indian history, uh, reaching out to the American Indian community in in, in their area, um, understanding that the name... um, or a, a team name is not simply um, a, a silly symbolic thing, but it's rather it's connected to a much longer history, and that um, I think advancing or taking a stand on mascots is a way to advance a broader effort to empower um, Native Americans and and sort of. Um, get rid of fictional things, false things, and provide right. them with some some measure of dignity and provide us really a, a clear space for us to do the things that we should be doing, like honoring the treaties that they have, um, respecting their sovereignty as nations, um, and figuring out real ways both individually and collectively to reconcile ourselves to and sort of recompensate for historic wrongs. Um, because I, I think that I think that the kind of ways that many of us, um, both big and small, sort of still think we own Indians, um, really get in the way from us treating them as equals and um, you know forging a path yeah. forward towards towards social justice. 
Right. Yeah, right. Yes, I 100% agree with that. Could you, you know, outside of your books, like your latest book, could you, you know, could you think of a book that, let's say that's a uh, children's book, because you got to start with your children first, that you would recommend just to get the ball rolling, get it in someone's mind that this is not the right thing to do? There's actually an interesting, I will not remember it off the top of my head. There's an interesting book for young adults. Um, I, think, I think it's called Who Will Tell My Brother. It's about um, an American Indian young person at a, at a high school with a mascot. And it explores how that, it tells his story and how his life is impacted by the mascot and gets in the way of, um, you know, hurts him and uh, gets in the way of other people seeing him as, um, a fe- you know, as a fellow student. Um, right. I think that, I think Sherman Alexie's recent book, um, and I know that some people have, have great issues with the book because it's been banned in a number of places, but I, I think that um, his book on be, uh, uh, Diary of a, a Part-Time Indian is another really good book because it raises a lot of questions around identity and representation and history, and it does so in a way that young people, um, I think, should find both entertaining and approachable. Um, so I, I guess those would be my two two of my two of my recommendations. That's great. That's really good. Now, what can people do? You know, besides what we talked about, as far as some of the things they can do, who could they write? Is it worth writing their local Congress folks? Folks in the U.S. Senate. I mean, is it worth doing that? Or yeah, I, I think that particularly, um, you know, folks in the D.C. area could be, um, you know, reminding their elected representatives, um, you know, the importance of the issue, and that you know it would be great to have the team come back inside the district and play perhaps where they used to play, but any um, any offering of, of a stadium would have to be tied to a new name, for example. So if they could right. keep, you know, keep vigilant on that front, I think that that is, is one important way to do that. I think that um, communicating to Roger Goodell and Daniel Snyder, either through an email or through um, a letter, you know that the name is problematic. That it um, impacts your enjoyment of the sport, um, your loyalty to the team, your willingness to buy things. Um, those probably all go a long way towards, um, uh, you know, making a meaningful kind of intervention. Um, and I think that working with community-based organizations uh, that are opposed to the mascot in, in D.C. Um, perhaps that are interested in boycotting or even uh, protesting would be another um, effective way to get one's voice for change out there. Um, obviously, it takes a lot more time than simply writing a letter or an email. Um, right. But I think I think that social social change always takes a lot of time, and it it always requires that people make. Um, certain kinds of sacrifices to make it happen. Well, Richard, I just want to thank you for being on today. And if anyone wants to contact you, 
give us your email or anything that you sure. have out there. Sure, sure. Um, if anybody wants to talk to me about or have me talk more about the issue, uh, they can email me at crking at wsu.edu. All right. That sounds good. And the name of the book is Redskins, Insult and Brand, and I had on. And I have to say this is a great see Richard King because you've done so much work over the years and I just admire what you've been doing and you're still out there and that's really great so I'm just happy to have you on again and I hope the next time I, you know we have you on that this issue has been resolved or there's some resolution that would be wonderful maybe I can be on another four or five years um, again and, and we'll be talking about how they changed the name that would be a wonderful return visit Look, my prediction is that you'll be back on sooner than five years and that they'll change the name, I'm going to say, in the next three years. Okay. I, I'll put it on my calendar three years from now. All right. <laughs> All right. So you take care, Richard. I'll see you later. You do take the same. Care. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. And, again, that was uh, C. Richard King, the author of the book Redskins, Insult and Brand. It's on the University of Nebraska. Press, really check it out. It's a very good book. Uh, not a good book. It's excellent. Gives you the history of the name Redskin, the current status. This is a really fascinating book to read, a fascinating subject. And as I said, I know a number of you are going to email me, get on Facebook, Twitter, and just say, well, you know, why, why, what's wrong with the name? What's wrong with the name? After, after having an expert on you, I know some of you will still do it, so okay. That's it. That's, you know, as Bobby Brown would say, that's your prerogative. But anyway, we're going to get some music here on the Root and Root Show, and I'm going to continue the uh, tribute to uh, Leon Haywood. And Leon Haywood, R&B legend, kind of forgotten for a while, but some of his music was sampled by a number of hip-hop artists, and I'll be playing one of those songs. The last song I play on here will be a song you'll say, God, I do know that. I do know that. I do know that melody. But right now we're going to get into some of the some of the other songs that he did in his lifetime. Great artists, underrated. And I'm going to start off with uh, from the '60s. This is Soul Cargo. So let's hear Soul Cargo on the Root and Root Show.
I want to do something freaky to you, the one and only, that was uh, Leon Haywood's biggest hit. And it was taken by so many hip hoppers. Uh, you probably know it from the um, the chronic um, CD with Dr. Dre and uh, Snoop Dogg. And he, they just took that basically melody by melody on that one. But that was the original. I want to do something freaky to you. Before that, we did Stroking, parts one and part two, as James Brown would say. And then we did Don't Push It, Don't Force It. Then we did. The Soul Cargo, so as a tribute to the late, great Leon Haywood, who is in Soul Heaven now, on the Root and Root Show. As we get to more music and that, I want to do something freaky to you. Let me, let me get a woman's kind of response to that. We're going to play right now. I haven't done any, I haven't done Peggy Scott Adams in quite a while. Let's do some Peggy Scott Adams, a good woman thinking bad. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. Let me tell you, women don't be no weak When it comes to you, know what 
drinking party. It's morning half past four. I still got the blues for my baby. Drinking don't move me no more. I don't want no more. No more alcohol. I'll put the ball back on the table. Take one more drink and that's all. I'll tell those winos on the corner. I'm moving on down the line. I lost my money and my clothes. Drinking that no good wine. I don't want no more. No more alcohol. I'll put the ball back on the table. Take one more drink and that's all. From Mississippi to Georgia, down to old Ned's house. I heard that's where I'll find my baby. I'll pour all this moonshine out. I don't want no more. No more alcohol. I'll put the ball back on the table. Take one more drink and that's all. I used to go out with my baby. I drank anything I could get. Now it's killing me to keep drinking. It's killing me to quit. I don't want no more. No more alcohol. I'll put the ball back on the table. Take one more drink and that's all.
that's the one and only J.M.O. Thomas. I spy for the FBI. I saw him in 1966 singing that song, and it was his only hit. And that song is like two minutes long or so. And he stretched that thing for almost a half hour, it seemed like, or more. But that was J.M.O. Thomas, I spy for the FBI. And before that, we did Jimmy Liggins, No More Alcohol. Before that, we did Big Mama Thornton, Laugh, Laugh, Laugh. Went to the 1930s with Lucille Boygan, actually late 1920s, and Lucille Boygan and Groceries on the Shelf, talking about the, the Piggly Wiggly. And that's a story. If you don't know Piggly Wiggly, that was a store out in the Midwest. I, they may still have them, but she's talking about she's the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> before that, we did Miss Jody, The Better the Good. Then we did Denise LaSalle, Lick It Before You Stick It. No comment. Anyway, um, and we started to set off with Peggy Scott Adams, a good-thinking woman gone bad. A good, uh, I'm sorry, a good woman thinking bad. You don't want to have that around you. That's, uh, you know, treat your women with respect out there, men. Just treat them with respect because if you're going around creeping and all that, they're going to find out. And when they find out, it's going to be, as James Brown said, Big, big payback. But anyway, on the Ruby Roof Show, we're going to get to more music here. I think I'll do, I can do a little bit of the Bride to Funkenstein, and we're going to play Love is Something. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. Love is something that you cannot do without.
I got it so much in there, so I almost forgot to turn the mic on, but that was uh, from the Norman Connors uh, album, Invitation, featuring the underrated, underappreciated Adaretha, Miss Adaretha in Invitation, the title cut. Before that, we did Rashawn Patterson in Spend the Night. Before that, we did the classic group from the 70s, Enchantment, and Forevermore. We did Diana Ross after that, and the old four top song, but she changed it. I like her version better. Reach Out, I'll Be There. For that, we did uh, Tony Red with uh, Bob uh, Baldwin on the piano, and that was I'm Changing. He was on the vibes there on the piano, and that was Tony Red, who sounds just like Phil Simon. And before that, we started to set off with the Brides of Funkenstein, and Love is Something. Yes, it is. It's something. As well as just just the show is something, just you out there is something, just you know, listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed the music tonight on the Root and Root Show, as well as the first topic of the show about um, the term, that, you know, the horrible racist term, red skin, by talking to my friend C. Richard King, author of the book, Red Skin, Insult and Brand. It's on the University of Nebraska Press. Check that out if you don't know anything about the history and the roots of that horrible term and what is going on currently as far as prevent these teams from having these horrible mascot names. So check it out. But I hope you enjoyed the show this evening. On the Root and Root Show, if you're listening, especially at KUHS Radio in Denver, Colorado, created by the great Henry Archuleta. I just want to say hi to my friends out there in Colorado. Say hi also to Chi-Chi out there who's on KUHS, because I want to eventually meet Chi-Chi. But anyway, that's another story, but... Hope you enjoyed the music, and again, you can reach me on Facebook at Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid, R-A-S-H-E-E-D, on the group, on the blogtalkradio.com site, New Quarter Root and Root Show. You can also go to my Twitter site, hashtag Unifix, U-N-I-F as in Frank, I-C-S as in Sam. You can email me at Unifix, U-N-I-F as in Frank, I-C-S as in Sam, at hotmail.com, unifix at hotmail.com, because I love to hear from you folks. I love um, the folks that are becoming Twitter fans and all that. You're never too old. You know, there are a lot of folks I know that are my age who just say, I don't do no tweet. I don't do this. But, you know, nothing wrong with learning new technology. Nothing. I just love it. So I hope that you, you know, take the time to just learn something new all the time, all the time. But again, this is Greg Rasheed with the Root Moose Show. We'll see you next time. Go in love and go in peace. Take care. Hug someone.